If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. While you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let me read another passage for you from James chapter 5. James says this, Is any one of you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And then from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a uh, verse which in some ways almost seems to contradict what I just read. Uh, I'll read starting verse uh, 7. To keep me from boasting, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations that Paul was getting, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Scholars have wondered a lot about what this affliction was, and there's some evidence from the book of Galatia where he says he was very sick at one point and the Galatians had to take care of him, and that he couldn't see very well. It has something to do with eyesight. Or some have speculated uh, he was an epileptic or something of the sort, but we don't know. But there was this thorn in the flesh. And then Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, and in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Last week we talked about intercessory prayer and how important that is in the Christian's life, uh, how how crucial it is, um, it being the main way that the Lord has given to us to affect the outcome of things on a spiritual level. And I want to continually encourage you to make that a part of your everyday uh, walk with the Lord. Intercessory prayer, to be praying for those that the Lord lays on your heart. I'd also ask you to be praying for this ministry on a continual basis. Be interceding for this ministry. Um, It is the only formula we know of because it's a formula that God's given us. It is the reason why God has been moving in this ministry the way he's been moving. It's the direct effect of, of, of people praying. And I want to encourage you to continue with that. This entire church, we've said from the beginning, is like one big experiment. We're seeing what happens when we can get 100 or 500 or 1,000 or maybe someday 5,000 people praying intently, intensely, fervently, and believing on a daily basis for God to move. Because the principle is that when, God, when, when people pray, God moves. This morning, I also want to encourage you to, as you're able, make it out on Sunday morning here at 9 o'clock. We have uh, 45 minutes of prayer for the service. If you can be a part of that, I encourage you to do so. And on Sunday nights, we have a prayer meeting uh, that the Lord has really been blessing. Um, at the Lee's house, you can get information about that. At the information desk, they have a map. And if you can uh, free up your Sunday nights and want to be a part of that, I encourage you to do so. This morning, we're going to be talking about healing, a specific form of intercession, the prayer that heals the body. It's a central, important aspect of the gospel. It's not a footnote to the gospel in any way. It's central. It's one of the central things that Jesus did. It's one of the central things that the early church did in proclaiming the gospel. And it is one of the central things that we want to be a part of in proclaiming the gospel. But as important as, as healing prayer is, 
It's also a topic that's surrounded in a great deal of controversy. In fact, there's an awful lot of abuse that goes on in the name of faith healing. So there's a real need as I bring this forth to hit a balance. Because very frequently the topic is talked about in an imbalanced way. I really can't say what I want to say without saying what I don't want to say. Unless what I say is taken the wrong way. And instead of being healing, it's, it's, it's damaging. Sometimes if you want to hit a balance, you want to be balanced about a topic, the only thing you can do is to bounce what you want to say off of two extremes, off the extremes that you want to avoid. And that's what I want to do this morning. I really struggle with this. Struggle to, 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 attain, to have a balanced perspective and give a, a, a balanced biblical message on this topic. And it's not easy, and I may even come out, I don't know if I'll succeed, it may even come out sounding self-contradictory. But that's my goal, and I want to start with a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would guard my words from error. I pray, Lord God, that you'd help me attain balance on this topic. I pray, Lord God, that you would install in your people, uh, through this word and, and through the worship that will be coming later on, a faith, a conviction that you are the Lord who heals. Not just, Lord, some abstract theoretical belief that you heal, but a conviction that you heal, and your heart is to heal. I pray, Lord God, that you'd stir that up in us. But I also pray, Lord God, that you'd protect us, because even this message can be and has been many times damaging to people who are afflicted. And so, God, I pray for inspiration and for wisdom. In your name, amen. There's two extremes I want to bounce off this morning. And if I was a more tactful person, I could do this in a tactful way. Uh, they always say you shouldn't name names and, you know, be too straightforward. And I just don't know how to do that. I, I only know how to say it uh, straight. And, and uh, that gets me in trouble, but maybe that's, that's an asset. And so I may end up stepping on some toes, and I don't apologize for that because sometimes toes need to be stepped on, but I, I would just ask at the beginning that if you find that uh, I'm hitting on a, a belief that you hold to, I'd encourage you to have an open mind. I champion your right to disagree with me. You don't have to agree with everything that I say from this pulpit, but I want you just to hear what I'm saying and see if the Lord might not use that to inform something about your life. On the one hand, I want to talk about what's called the positive confession movement. On the other hand, I want to talk about secularism. And I want to bounce off of those two to arrive at what I think is a biblical perspective on healing. The positive confession movement, maybe some of you have heard about this movement. Uh, even, even if you haven't heard about it, if you've been around evangelical circles for very long, I'm sure that you've uh, confronted people who have been influenced by this movement, and maybe you yourself are... Uh, adhere to the teachings of this movement, I don't know. But the basic foundational principle of, of the positive confession movement is this. Number one, it's always God's will to heal. Number two, if you have enough faith, you will be healed. And so if you're not healed, it's because you lack faith or there's some other sin in your life. And number three, as a sign of faith, you must always confess that you're healed. You must speak healing in spite of what the evidence may be in your body, you must say that, you, that, that you're healed because you believe, according to the positive confession movement, that the Bible says that you should be healed. Let me share with you an experience or several experiences that I've had with this. The first time I ever encountered this teaching, 
It was when I visited a young man in the hospital. I, he was a relative of uh, a person in the church that I was an assistant pastor at. And uh, he was a vibrant kid, 22-year-old kid, loved life, loved the Lord. He was engaged to be married. He was playing rugby. He was a youth leader in a Catholic church of 600 kids. Had an incredible future ahead of him, incredible ministry ahead of him. And he was playing rugby, and he got tackled, and he landed on his neck, and there was a pile on, and his neck broke. And the result was that he was paralyzed from the neck down, and the doctor said that the, that the break in his neck was so severe that he'd never walk again and never be able to move his hands again, would never have any feeling be, from his neck on down. And I would love to just give a testimony about how we went and prayed for him and he got out of that bed and lived life happily ever after. Those are the kind of things that usually we like to share from the pulpit. And we, we, don't, we don't talk about the, the quote-unquote failures. And then we leave the people who are the quote-unquote failures kind of lurking in the dust wondering why. I went to meet with this, this young man. And at first, his demeanor kind of surprised me. His... I thought maybe it was an admirable thing that he had all this faith. He had so much faith. And I talked with him about his, his accident and what he was going through, and he, he would just keep on repeating things like this. Well, Greg, see, I know I'm healed. I'm not down about this. This, he said, was a symptom of the devil. I know that I'm healed because I believe in the Lord, and the Lord heals all of our diseases. And, and so I'm claiming a healing. I'm claiming that I'm healed. Oh, I know that right now the devil's having these symptoms that I can't feel my arms and legs, but really I know that I'm healed. In several weeks or a month or two after this initial accident, his talk began to change a little bit. He began to say things like, well, I know that if I have enough faith, I'll be healed. And when I can just come to the point of really, really, truly believing that the Lord will heal me, then I know I'll be healed if I just had enough faith. And as time went on, he began to indict himself for not having enough faith. Why can't I believe strong enough? I think I believe strong enough, but I must not be. Why can't I believe strong enough to, to be healed? Eventually, this began to turn towards resentment towards God, who would hang his whole future ministry and hang his whole future life on his psychological, on, on Gary, my friend's psychological certainty on believing that he was healed. And now, on top of a man who is in a catastrophic condition laying in this bed, you got a man who's blaming himself for laying in this bed. And if he would have had enough faith, he never would have had this accident in the first place because God would have been protecting him. And I don't know what is worth, worse, the physical condition or the emotional, psychological, and spiritual condition of blaming yourself for being in this physical condition. spoke with a man last year who was a uh, respected teacher. We were speaking about a woman that we both know who's in a wheelchair, has been in a wheelchair from birth. And this man said that it wasn't her fault that she was born with legs that were deformed. That was her parents' fault because they lacked faith to trust God. In this area, but now that she's of the age of accountability, it's her fault. And if she had enough faith, she could just get up and walk out of that wheelchair. The problem you see is her lack of faith. And then I asked him, What would happen to you? You're married. He was newly married. I said, What if you had a deformed child or a child who couldn't walk? How would you begin to process that given your theology? What would you do with that? And his response was, Well, that's an irrelevant question because I know that I never will have a deformed child because we trust God and have faith in God's provision for us. You see very clearly what the indictment is. If anyone here this morning has been born with a deformed child, or you were born deformed, or born handicapped, or born with some disease, it's ultimately your fault. And if you had enough faith, you wouldn't have that. I knew a lady who died 
a Christian lady who died, and her last words were, my God, my God, I'm going to hell. And she said that because she believed, she was a young lady, and she believed that this disease, this cancer that was killing her, if she had enough faith that she'd, she'd overcome this, this cancer, she'd be healed. And the fact that she doesn't have enough faith to heal her body indicates that she doesn't have enough faith to trust Jesus to heal her soul so her sins aren't forgiven. In fact, she had a pastor who told her that, and she died in that condition. The belief is that it's always unequivocally, unconditionally God's will to heal you. The belief is that if you have enough faith, you can claim that healing. And the belief is that you should never confess anything other than that. And this is not just some weird fringe movement. This is a very widespread movement. And I'm not at all questioning the sincerity or the genuineness or the Christianity of those who hold to it. They mean well and they believe they're going by the Bible. But from my perspective, there's a serious error here. It's true that God heals. God is a healing God. And it's true that we need to have faith and we need to believe that God can heal if we're going to receive that healing. And it's also true that we need to speak and we need to think according to God's word. And that God's word is truer than our own experience. That's all true things and there's a lot of truth in the positive confession movement. But from my perspective... The error that's made is in believing that it's always unequivocally God's desire at this time to heal the particular illness that you have. Let me make two observations. Number one, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where anyone is ever encouraged to confess something that isn't true in their experience. I look for it and I can't find it. I never find anyone, you know, hundreds of people came to Jesus for healing. And never once do I find him saying things like, well, you ought to, don't confess that you have leprosy if you really have leprosy. And confess that you're healthy even though you're feeling sick. And confess that you can see even though you're really blind. I never see that kind of thing going on in the gospel. What I do find is a, is a premium put on speaking the truth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25. Paul says, speak the truth to one another in love. The word truth means openness. Speak what is honest. Speak what is real. Speak what is going on. That's a part of what the, the body of Christ is all about. Paul got up here and, 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 and shared some of the stuff that's been going on in his life the last couple days, and it wasn't all positive. And that's a good thing to do. You talk what is true. If you're sick, don't pretend like you're not sick. You're sick. If you've got a headache, don't pretend like you don't have a headache. You've got a headache. If you're handicapped, don't pretend like you're not handicapped. You're handicapped. You can say it, and that's how we invite other people in on our struggles, in on our problems, in on our sicknesses, that we might share them with them. James chapter 5 says, if anyone is sick, let them call on the elders, and they'll come and pray for you. That means acknowledging that you're sick. I just don't find any place in Scripture where whether or not you're healed hangs upon your ability to psychologically convince yourself that you're healed. In the Bible, when, you, when, when, when Jesus would pray for people or when the apostles would pray for people, they'd be healed. And they wouldn't have to go around trying to convince themselves that they were healed or convince other people that they were healed. They'd just be healed. They didn't have to try to talk themselves into it. It wasn't a psychological gimmick. It happens. It's a real thing. The second observation I'd make is this. Nowhere do I find, and this is so important, nowhere do I find anywhere in Scripture where someone is blamed for being sick. Amen. Never do I find... In Scripture, anyone pinpointing a lack of faith as the reason why somebody is ill or the reason why somebody is handicapped. 
Hundreds of times people came to Jesus for healing, and never once do I find him even intimating that the reason why they're sick, the reason why they have leprosy, the reason why they can't walk, or the reason why they can't see is because they lack faith or they have some kind of sin in their life. The disciples were prone to think that way. They saw a man in John 9 who was blind, and they said, oh, who sinned that made this man blind? Was it him or his parents? And my friend that I talked to last year would have said, well, it was both, because first it was the parents, and now it's his responsibility, so now it's his sin. Jesus said, no, you're asking the wrong question. What's important right now is that God wants to glorify himself by healing this man of his blindness. Forget the question of blame. It just doesn't apply. It's true that the Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you. And it's true that Jesus says, you have not because you ask not in faith. Those are true things. But the Bible never draws the reverse logical conclusion, never does this, that says that you're not healed because you lack faith. You need faith to be healed, but it doesn't follow that the reason that you're not healed is because you lack faith. Never does the Bible blame people for being sick. Paul, he mentions in the book of uh, Philippi, I believe it is, about a disciple that he had to leave behind on a missionary journey because the disciple was sick. He just says it. This person, uh, Epiphanes or something like that, he's sick. He doesn't say, oh, he lacks faith and he's sick, or he's got sin in his life, he's sick. He just says he's sick. In a fallen world, people get sick. And he leaves it at that. And when Paul had this thorn in the flesh, this illness that seemed to be an ongoing thing, he prayed to the Lord and it wasn't answered. But he doesn't blame himself for that. He says, in this case, the Lord said, he can use me more in my infirmity, he can use me more in my weakness, he can glorify himself somehow in my frailty more than if he healed me. And so in this case, the Lord decided not to heal Paul. The only place where you ever find anyone in the Bible blaming the only place you ever find anyone in the Bible blaming someone for being sick is in the book of Job. Job had all these afflictions come upon him, and the three friends, friends of Job, they started accusing him, saying, well, hey, Job, the reason why you're sick, the reason why this catastrophe is happening to you is because you lack faith. You have sin in your life. You're being judged, Job. And the whole point of the book of Job is to say that those three friends were wrong. Their theology was wrong. The whole point of the book of Job is to say to tell us that sometimes we just don't understand. We have such trouble saying that sometimes. But we just don't understand. Sometimes we just don't know. God's, the whole point of the book of Job is to say that God's perspective is different than our perspective. His purview of the situation is not our purview. His understanding is not our understanding. The whole point of the book of Job is to say that there are things that go on in the unseen world on a spiritual level that we have no access to, no information about. The whole point of the book of Job is to say that sometimes we just don't understand. We are not God. And when we try to act like we know what only God knows, we end up damaging people. When we pinpoint faith as the sole reason why somebody is healed or not healed, we end up doing more harm than good. We end up, rather than standing alongside of the sick, we end up standing on top of the sick and judging them for being sick. Rather than being compassionate towards those who are afflicted, we end up being cruel towards those who are afflicted because we judge them for their affliction. Rather than lifting the burden of the blind and the burden of those who are oppressed physically, we end up heaping more burdens on them by accusing them and indicting them for having the burden in the first place. When we go outside of what God has told us, we end up doing harm. The whole point of the book of Job is this. We cannot box God in. We can't box God into our little formulas. We can't 
box God into our prescriptions. We can't box God into our little theological ideas. And we can't box God into our expectations. We are not God. There's a million variables that only God knows that goes into the workings of this world. Faith is one of them. An important variable, but it's only one of them. And when we pinpoint faith, pigeonhole faith is the sole reason why a person's healed or not healed, we end up doing a lot of, a lot of harm. Our job, our job is not to understand the metaphysics of heaven. Our job is to obey and to pray for those who are sick that they might be healed. That's one extreme. Whatever else I say, I want to make it clear that I don't buy into that extreme. That if you're sick, it, I can't know and no one can know that it's your fault. But there's another extreme. On the other hand, and it's a big other hand, the other hand is this. Whereas the positive confession movement claims too much, the problem with many other Christians, and maybe the majority of contemporary Western Christians, is that they claim too little. Whereas the positive confession movement needs to, needs to hear that sometimes God can glorify himself through a person's weakness, many others need to hear that God many times wants to glorify himself, and I'm almost inclined to say most of the time, wants to glorify himself by ridding us of our weaknesses and ridding us of our diseases. Whereas the positive confession movement needs to hear that sometimes you need to pray for acceptance of where you're at, acceptance of your condition. Sometimes you need to pray for that and accept it. Other times you need to fight it. The Bible calls us to fight it. There's a time to fight and refuse to accept the illnesses that you have, the sickness that you have, the handicap that you have. There's a time to fight it and fight it with the strongest weapon that we have, and that's the prayer for the sick, the prayer of healing. You see, we live in a, a worldview that is very much the legacy of a rationalistic, enlightenment, scientific revolution that occurred 400 years ago. And all of us are to some degree influenced by this. It's the worldview that says that things operate by natural cause and effect. That things just happen according uh, to physical laws and there's no exception to that. It's a worldview that says that if any healing is going to come about, if any good is going to come about, it's going to be our doing through our ingenuity, through medicine, through science, through technology. We're in this alone and we've got to do it for, our, for ourselves. And that's a worldview that influences us. Now, we still pray for healing, and we still pray for that, because the Bible says to, to pray for healing and diseases and whatnot. But to the degree that we're influenced by this worldview, we don't really expect anything to happen. Our real only hope is in science and technology and medicine. We pray for the migraine headache, but our real hope is in the aspirin. We pray for cancer, but our real hope is in chemotherapy. We pray for our diseases, but our real hope is in the doctors. And thank God for doctors and medicine and chemotherapy and, and everything else that science has brought. That's a gift from God. Use it. But the point is, is that, according to the Bible, that is not our only hope. The doctor's word does not have to be the final word. Whereas the, the, uh, the uh, positive confession movement is wrong in pigeonholing faith as the only variable for why people are healed or not healed, many of the rest of us need to hear that Faith is one variable on whether or not we were healed. The Bible does say, according to your faith, be it unto you. The Bible does say that you need to believe in order to receive and ask with nothing doubting. 
And whereas the positive confession movement is wrong in thinking that it's always without conditions, without exception, God's will to heal you, then that's the only way God can glorify himself. Whereas that's wrong because it indicts people who are sick. Many other Christians need to hear the truth. That it is that God is a healing God. And it certainly is sometimes God's will to heal. Whereas we can't box God in, we can stand on the authority of his word. And the authority of his word says that God is a healing God. And so as much as we need to come against any kind of theological system that would indict people or blame people for being sick or handicapped or whatever, we have to come against that with equal fervency. We have to come against any system of thought that would go to the opposite extreme, the secular extreme, and say that really God's not a healing God. Really, you've got to learn to live with it and don't even bother trying to pray for prayer or praying for healing. That opposite extreme that says that... Uh, Miracles are a thing of the past. Oh, that was a New Testament thing. That's what Jesus did. That's what the disciples did. But that's not for today. You can't expect the supernatural to happen anymore today. You can't expect healings to happen anymore today. That's a thing of the past. That is nonsense. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And what you find with Jesus, the single thing he did most, now, now hear this, the single thing he did most, aside from teaching, was heal people. He went around the place healing people. And that was an important part of his ministry. He didn't just do it because he wanted to convenience people. He did it as a way of demonstrating the truth of what he said. He didn't just talk about the kingdom of God. He demonstrated the kingdom of God, and he demonstrated it by healing people. He showed forth the truth of God's power and the truth of God's love and caring for people by bringing about physical healing. That was a true thing, a real thing, a central thing that Jesus did. And the church is to carry on that very same ministry. Healing happens today. Don't tell me that it's for a thing, a thing of the past. And so it was in the early church. Acts 2 verse 43 says that when they preached the gospels, they did signs and wonders. That's the phrase it uses. Signs of God's love. Signs of God's care. Wonders of God's power. And so when they proclaimed the gospel, they verified the gospel by demonstrating it by praying for the sick and having the sick healed. They had faith for that to happen. Don't tell me that. It's a thing of the past. And so it's been throughout church history, and so it is today. Don't tell me it's a thing of the past. Tell Lars Larson it's a thing of the past. 20 years ago, the doctor said he had cancer. His life was on the line, and the Lord healed him of that cancer. You'd have a hard time convincing him that it stopped uh, in the apostolic age. Tell a young woman, what, two months ago we prayed for a woman up here? Uh, who had an arm ailment. She couldn't lift her arm. She couldn't hardly dress herself. It was constantly in pain. She was getting cortisone shots, and they weren't doing any good. And we prayed for that arm. She called me the next day in my office. She says, I have no pain. I have total mobility. I can dress myself. There's no problem here. Try telling her that the day of miracles and the time of healing has stopped. It hasn't stopped. People have stopped believing it, but it has not stopped. So it is with us. So it is with us. Our job... Our job is not to understand the metaphysics of heaven. And when we try to figure that out, we end up harming people. That's God's business. Our business is to, with childlike faith, do what Jesus did. To enter into the sufferings of others. To pray with, with others. Our job isn't to pry into the secret things of God and understand all the workings of, of this universe. Our job is just to obey and believe. Obey and believe. Jesus said he can heal. I believe he can heal. Let's pray for your healing. We don't need to try to psych yourself up for this. Let's just pray that God's authority, God's power, God's might will come down and heal you. Our job isn't to be metaphysicians of God's mind. Our job is to be childlike believers who say, look, it says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. You're sick. 
All I know how to do is pray. That's all I know how to do. What we want to be about here, I, I, I believe, without hinting, without suggesting that the reason why you are sick here this morning or you're handicapped here this morning is your fault. That's not the case. Still, we live in an age that has trouble believing God to do physical things. We can trust God for the things we can't see, the spiritual stuff. But when it comes to really believing, really believing that God is a healing God and can get people out of wheelchairs and can, and can take care of your flu and heal you of your cancer, when it comes to believing that, we have trouble because that's right out here in front. And the, the Bible principle is that, according to your faith, be it unto you. And our prayer is that God would instill in us a faith, a conviction, and a certainty that he's a God who heals our diseases, and he can certainly glorify himself by healing people here this morning. Let me close with just giving five quick tips about, about, about uh, praying for the sick. Five 30-second tips. Number one, this is for all believers. This isn't for the high priests. It's not for the ministers. It's not for experts on prayer. This is for all believers. God has given to us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who heals, not us. And if you're a believer here this morning, if you became a believer last night, you have the opportunity to pray for the sick. In fact, we have a responsibility to pray for the sick because that's part of the gospel. Number two, the authority of our prayer is not ourselves. It's in Jesus' name. And as we said last week, we raise, when we intercede, when we pray for the sick, we raise up the staff of God's authority. The reason why every believer has the authority to pray for the sick is because Praying for the sick is not a matter of how spiritually enlightened you are or how long you've been a Christian or how eloquent you are at praying. Jesus does the healing. We are simply used as vessels of that, and if you have faith that that can happen, then it can happen. Pray in Jesus' name. Number three, as you pray, ask God for faith. Ask God for faith. Many times we believe in a theoretical way that God can heal, but our faith is a, is a trembling faith. It's a doubting faith. It's... Really, the doctor's word is the final word. There's a man who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my son needs healing. And Jesus said, do you believe? Do you believe? And the man said, Lord, okay, I believe, but, but help my unbelief. What a beautiful prayer. Our prayer should be, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Give us that faith to pray with authority. Give us that faith to pray with fervency. Give us the faith to attack this thing that you are opposed to and reclaim it for your glory. A fourth thing is this. Sometimes the healing is immediate, and sometimes the healing takes a while. And I don't know why. No one knows why, but that's the way it happens. It happened that way with the Son of God. He prayed sometimes, and it was instant. Most of the time it was instant, but there were times when he prayed, and he, and he had to pray for a while. There was a, there was a time when a man was blind, and he prayed for this blind man, and then he asked the question, Can you see? And the blind man said, Well, kind of. I, I, I see, like, you know, globs, uh, trees, and, you know... I, but I can't see anything distinctly. No, Jesus didn't say, well, you got to stand up. you got to claim it. you got to claim it. I had a friend one time who quit wearing his glasses for four months. It was like he was legally blind, had his thick glasses. Quit wearing glasses for four months, claiming that he could see. Almost flunked out of Rice University and got in three car wrecks in that period of time. <laughs> Jesus didn't operate like that. Jesus said, can you see? You know, it's not an embarrassing thing. If you can't see, say you can't see. Okay, should we pray more? Let us discern God's will here. It's not an awkward thing. The guy says, no, I can't see very well, so Jesus prayed some more. And then he was healed. Sometimes it's immediate, and sometimes it takes a while. You need to discern God's will as to whether you should keep praying, how God's moving, and be persistent about it. The final thing is this. No, not the final thing. The next final thing is when we pray, pray for God's glory. 
When I pray for someone who's sick or when I pray for myself when I'm sick, I want to be, be made healthy. No one likes to be sick. No one likes to have a disease or whatever. But the main purpose, the main purpose of the prayer is to glorify God. We're saying, God, glorify yourself. And God, we know you can glorify yourself through our weakness. You did it with Paul. You do it with Joni Erickson. You can glorify yourself through our infirmities. Glorify yourself. But Lord, you can also glorify yourself in a powerful way if you heal this person. Lord, flex your muscle. Lord, show us your might. Show us your power. Show off yourself, Lord God, that you're the creator of the body by healing the body. Pray for God to glorify himself and make this commitment. If a healing occurs, the commitment is that you'll tell people about it because that's part of the reason why God, God healed the person in the first place. Publish, advertise what God is doing. Tell us. If God heals you, tell us, okay? Tell Paul, tell me, tell somebody that it gets to us. We want to eventually put up a testimony sheet because that's what builds faith. It gives God a real good reputation when he goes around healing people. And that's all we want, God. Heal people. Show, build a name for yourself. Confront the heathen. Prove the doctors wrong. And the final point is this. This is just a little, little side thing. But many times when the Bible says we should pray for the sick, or when the Bible has people praying for the sick, they lay hands on the sick. Sometimes they even anoint them with oil. I don't know why. Uh, it's just all throughout the Bible. God has ordained that that's one of the ways he's going to heal uh, people. And so it's good when you pray for somebody, first get their permission, and then lay hands on them and pray for them. And if you have an oil, why not? Anoint them with oil. Be childlike enough to take God at his word even when you don't understand it. And say, God, heal this person. What we want to do here this morning is this. We're going to enter into worship for a couple of songs. And, and uh, uh, Paul, or Paul and, and Lars are, are going to be standing over here. And then Marlene and myself will be standing over here. Lars and Marlene are the head of our prayer ministry. And we want to invite you. If, I don't want to limit to physical affliction, okay? But if you are afflicted in any way, I encourage you to come forward. And we would like to pray with you. That's the word. We don't want to walk away having just thought about the word. Let's put it into practice. Come forward and let us pray. And let's exercise, let's make the decision to exercise our faith together. And ask God to show himself off here this morning. So we'll enter into worship. And as we're entering into worship, if God lays it on your heart to pray for the people that are up here uh, who are sick, do so. And then after that, we'll have a time of communion. When the uh, uh, musicians come forward and the, uh, Marlene and Lars come forward as we pray, Father, this is all you're doing. We're just simple enough, childlike enough to take you at your word. You say you can do it, Lord, and so we're just going to say do it, Lord. Uh, uh, we open ourselves up for your spirit and your power to move here this morning, Lord God. We confront that mindset which is energized by the enemy, which would try to convince us that this cannot be, that the doctors have the final word, and that if medicine fails, then there's no hope for us. We confront that in Jesus' name. And we ask, Lord, help our unbelief to believe that you can intervene and heal and do a mighty work in our midst. We simply want to see you glorify yourself, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, if there are sick here this morning, that you give them uh, the freedom to come forward here and to enter into prayer with us as you glorify yourself by ministering to them. We pray in Jesus' name.